Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Hi, Olaomi here again, and thank you for being a part of the Super Abundant Life podcast. I want to say thank you for tuning in week in, week out to listen to the podcast and also for the feedback um, that many of you have been sending in. And I also want to say thank you for sharing the podcasts. Um, people have been, you know, reaching out to me saying, you know, someone, I heard about your podcast from, from a friend, from, you know, f- uh, family, colleagues and so on. So I, I really do appreciate it. It's an avenue for God to get out uh, some of the teachings and the insights that he's been helping us to come into on the podcast. So that's very much appreciated. On today's episode, so this week, <laughs> we're going to talk about something that um, unfortunately many, if not all of us, deal with. And sometimes it's a bit dicey because, you will find us in a minute, it's a bit dicey because we we even wear it as a badge of honor, you know, like this is a good thing to do because if I don't engage in this kind of um, habit, then maybe it shows that I don't care. And of course, I'm talking about worrying and complaining. And I've lumped those two things together um, because basically, you know, in my sale, I don't complain. Uh, maybe I worry a little, but essentially the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you find somebody that's complaining a lot, it means that there's an abundance of those negative thoughts in their mind that is then being expressed uh, you know, verbally in terms of complaining. So today we're going to be talking about the damaging effects of worrying and complaining and also how to beat the habits. So I've picked my words very carefully. So the damaging fact I thought of talk, um, calling it the toxic effects of worrying and complaining. If, uh, if you, if you, you know, grew up in kind of home that I grew up in, um, and it wasn't peculiar to, you know, to my home, it was just a general thing in the culture that I grew up in where everybody worried about everything. <laughs> you worried literally about everything. Um, and it was, if you don't worry, people think there's something wrong with you. Why aren't you worried? Why are you so calm? But just because that is the way the world does it does not mean that is the way we should do it because we are, we follow the principles of the kingdom of God and God says, do not fret, do not worry. Okay. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I want to actually start off by literally reading out the dictionary definitions of those two words. So to complain, according to the dictionary is to express dissatisfaction, pain, uneasiness, severe disapproval, resentment, fears, or grief. 
And to worry, I found this quite interesting when I looked it up in the dictionary. To worry, it says, is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts or to fret. All right, to torment oneself with or to suffer from disturbing thoughts or negative thoughts. Um, now before I move on, what I'm talking about today is not the odd, okay. Um, you know, I, there's a thought that comes and there's a feeling of anxiety regarding something and you're quick to shake it off because if you are, if you're the kind of person that has trained your mind to the point where you're very quick to shake things off and just enter into the peace of God, you've come a long way because so, so many of us, uh, Christian or otherwise don't know, don't have that skill. We don't yet know how to enter and to, you know, stay in the peace of God. I say this all the time that, um, God showed me many years ago and he continues to remind me, he says the normal state of the Christian, um, is peace and joy. He says you'll be led forth by peace and it also talks about joy. So when a peace is disturbed, it is not a normal thing to live in, uh, in a state whereby you are consistently out of peace. Yes, you, as you walk in peace, there will be there will be situations, there will be thoughts, there will be uh, words or actions of other people or of yourself that will punctuate that peace. But we should be very, very quick um, about getting back into peace because peace is a normal state. Jesus said, my peace, I live with you. All right. He literally, I love the way somebody puts it, said he willed it to you because he was going to the cross. He was about to die. He said, I leave it. You know, I, I will it to you. This is my, uh, this is your inheritance. So peace is actually the inheritance of the child of God. And it says that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So if God lives in me, then I should be joyful. So that's just to put that out there that, you know, someone might think, oh, I can I live a life that is worry-free? Yes, you can, especially because the Bible says don't worry. If God says don't do something, it means the grace to not do it has been released. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the damaging effects and, you know, uh, how it's damaging or affecting the quality of life, including the physical health, right, and also how to overcome those toxic habits. So are you someone who worries or complains a lot? All right. And when I talk about complaining, I'm not talking about whereby you see something that is out of place, maybe in the workplace and you bring it up to someone's attention with the intention of doing something about it and taking steps towards making a correction. That is actually positive complaining in the sense that you are not adapting to something that's not working. You are raising it as an issue and you're taking intentional, deliberate and positive steps towards correcting it. The kind of complaining that I'm talking about is you're not moving. Okay. You're just complaining. You see the negative side of everything. Somebody tries to bring a good suggestion. You complain. Oh, this one is this you complain about the minutest things. That's what I'm talking about. So it's a habit of worrying, of ruminating, all right. Just really rolling over in your mind, negative thoughts, anxious thoughts. What could possibly go, you know, the, the, you look at a situation and your mind automatically thinks about everything that could possibly go wrong. Okay. Your vocabulary is full of things that prop the problem is the challenge is and all those kind of things so worrying zooming in on negativity so the question is how do we get to that point 
right? As human beings. And, to, you know, someone might say, oh, women worry. You know, it's not just women that worry. It's just that we are more, we are more, um, expressive in you know without worrying so you might see a mother that's sort of fretting and sort of dancing up and down oh you know whatever the, the man that looks calm to be honest with you he too that men also worry men also live with severe anxiety so this is not even like um gender biased i don't believe that women worry more than men the man might look calm but you don't know what is going on the wheels in his mind are actually turning all right. They're turning. So how do you get there? Or how did you get there? If you're someone that, not, that now has a habit, all right, it has grown into a habit. It is not just like every now and then you might worry and then push it aside or have an anxious thought and push it aside. It's a habit. You want to do anything, suddenly floods of thoughts come that are negative, showing you exactly what could go wrong, etc. And you find yourself always complaining, always complaining. You rarely have anything good to say about anything you walk into a new situation and suddenly you know um, almost immediately you're complaining you're picking out everything that is wrong uh it's not normal it's not normal um the normal state of us as christians particularly because it is not by our own strength jesus christ has literally willed he said my peace i live with you i give it to you Okay, so the kind of peace that Jesus exhibited that was that allowed him in the midst of the fiercest storm to be sleeping. That's the kind of peace that he left with us. All right. That's the kind of peace that we should aspire to. So how did you get here? How did you develop a habit of consistently complaining or worrying or being anxious? All right. I want, I'm going to look at it from, you know, two different points and perspectives today. As always, I'm going to go into the Bible to teach using the word of God, but it's, this is an area that actually also fascinates me a lot that I'm very interested in, which is how the brain works. So I've done quite a bit of study, you know, reading books, research papers, and so on about how the brain works, because it really does fascinate me. And one of the things that I've discovered is that your brain actually helped you get there all right you didn't get there on your own your brain because it is built to be efficient has actually encouraged you in this habit all right um before i go on i just want to say that if you want to you know take this further i want to read up on your own i i suppose the book that i would probably recommend that you know is quite comprehensive it's, it's not light reading okay so it's not it takes a bit of thought. So it's not in my thing. This is, <laughs> I think it took me about three attempts to actually read the book. So it's not, it's, it's, it's quite dense in terms of, um, academic speech or medical speak. Um, and that is switch on your brain by Caroline leaf. But if you can actually sit down and read the book, if you're interested in this topic, that is one book that I would highly recommend. All right. So let's get into it. So I'm going to look at it from the scientific point of view. I know the research that has been, um, carried out over the years and probably, you know, over several decades about how the brain functions. And this is what's called neuroplasticity. There was a time when scientists and researchers believed that the brain you know, once you are old, you cannot learn anything new. You can well, your IQ is fixed and all those things that, you know, whatever you become when you, you know, grow into adulthood, that's it. But then in recent years, it has come to light that actually the brain can actually rewire and retrain itself and physically change. So it is 
plastic, all right? So that's what neuroplasticity is. Now, scientists, let me get into it. So scientists have this saying, and they say that neurons that fire together, wire together. And I'm going to explain exactly what that means. That is why your brain has made it easy for you to develop a habit or any habit, whether positive or negative. Now, think of it this way. Whenever you have a thought, okay, whether that thought is positive or negative, in order to transport that thought from one point of your brain to the other, the neurons in your brain release a chemical that form connecting bridges. So it's like, you know, you are trying to get something from one point to the other. There has to be, you know, there has to be something that will connect the space in order to transport that thing. So it's like trying to cross a river, you need the bridge, right? So exactly that's where that is. So each neuron will release a chemical that will form a bridge in order to connect that to, in order to transport that thought from one neuron to the other. Okay, so it is carrying an electric signal that has the information that you're thinking about so that it can be communicated. All of this obviously is happening lightning fast. All right, it's happening lightning fast. It's just like the way nerves carry electric signals from your body to your brain. So for example, if you hit your hand, you, you know what I mean? You've, you feel the pain immediately. So it's super quick, it's lightning quick. But this is actually the process behind it. So if you hit your hand, the nerves use electric signals to transport that sensation in your hand all the way to your brain. Your brain interprets it and that's when you feel pain. So it's, in fact, you know, it's almost as if it's immediately, right? Because it's that fast. But that is the process behind it. So it's the same thing when you think a thought. That thought has to be communicated, right? So the neuron will connect with each other through a sub, a, a, the release of a chemical. And that's what it means by firing together, right? So now here's where the science really gets interesting because it's discovered that the brain, your brain is so efficient that it's always looking for ways to reduce the energy that it uses to transport these electric signals. All right. Remember, the electric signals carry the information that you're thinking about. Your brain is very efficient. It doesn't want to waste energy. So every time an electric charge is triggered, the neurons that are transporting that thought, they grow closer together in order to decrease the distance that the electric charge has to travel. So it's basically saying, okay, I want to get if I want to get something, so I have a parcel that I want to deliver, right, somewhere. If I'm delivering a parcel to my next door neighbor, it's going to take me less energy, whether by walking, or it's assumed that in this case, I'm going to walk there, compared to if I'm delivering to someone that is 100 miles away. So it will require more energy if there's greater distance. So if, in order for your brain to conserve energy, if you have a negative, a certain kind of thought, and your brain is finding out that, okay, this person, okay, we're thinking this stuff quite regularly because it is quite frequent. Um, so for example, if I need to deliver the parcel to someone, I could say, okay, um, okay. I think a good example is I'm going to work, right? A lot of people will try and find somewhere close to work because it's regular because you go every morning. It's the same thing. Right. If you live far away, you're always thinking, oh, I want to avoid traffic. I don't want to waste time in, in traffic. How can I move closer? It's the same thing with your brain. So it's always looking for ways to decrease the amount of energy that it's using to transport those signals and the information. All right. So if you're regularly 
thinking about something and this is how habits are formed your brain increasingly decreases right the amount of space between those neurons in order to make it easier to connect i hope that makes sense i hope i haven't gone too sciencey but it's important to actually understand that um a lot of times you might say oh that's how i it's not how you are your brain was trained to become that way and the good news is if your brain was trained to become a warrior or a complainer, it means it can be retrained to become someone that is thankful, that sees the positive in every situation. So it was trained that way and it can be retrained. Okay. That's the point I'm trying to make. I hope that makes sense. Right. So what does this all mean? It basically means that every time you complain or worry, the bridge Remember that bridge we talked about connecting your neurons in order to transport the information shortens and becomes more permanent. So it becomes more permanent. Okay. And because it becomes more permanent, what your brain is trying to do is to make it easier for you to repeat that behavior in the future until you get to the point where you're doing it without even consciously thinking about it. Is to say, you know, you want to ride the bike, you're learning to ride the bike, or you, you know, you're learning to drive. If you think back to when you were re- learning to drive, no, you know, you couldn't even touch your, your radio back then. As in, somebody's touching you, like, no, don't distract me, don't distract me. As in, everything is completely concentrated now. You know, in fact, if not f- trying to hide, if not that police will come and carry you or something, you'll be talking on your phone, you might be eating an apple, staring in one hand while talking to the kids in the back because there are the bridges have been made permanent and they're so strong that it's now gone from the conscious to the subconscious. Do you understand that? So when you worry or complain, every time you indulge in those kind of habits, you're basically telling your brain, okay, make it easier for me to be able to do it next time. So the more you do it, the easier it becomes to do it again. So that until it becomes absolutely perfect, sorry, absolutely permanent. And, uh, you know, you might meet someone, you know, you might know a few people where it's just so difficult for them to see positive in anything. That's because they have been indulging in that habit for years and years and years that it is now the same way someone gets into their car. Has this happened to you before? You think you're going somewhere, you know, you drive to work and you're like, how did I get here? You didn't, you don't even remember turning left or turning right, but you just got from A to B. It's exactly the same way. Okay. So your brain rewires everything. It rewires your brain to make future complaining and worrying more likely. And it becomes your default behavior. It becomes default. So that is how you now respond to situations in life. It becomes your way of acting, your way of thinking. You find it easier to worry and to complain, even when there's no real justification for it. Even when everything looks good, you still find something negative to complain about. All right. It becomes automatic. Now the brain is neutral. Everything that I've just described works for both positive and for negative habits. It works for both. The brain is not taking sides. All right. If you repeat something, the brain is saying, okay, because we're doing this over and over again, let us, you know, shorten the process. Let us reduce the habit, the the energy that it will require because it's a repetitive process. 
All right. So that is how your brain conserves energy by making it easier and easier for you to do something that you repeatedly do. <laughs> Me, when I saw this, I was like, oh my God. Right. So it is not, don't say uh, my mother was a warrior. She worried all the time. It's just in the family it runs in the blood. It doesn't run in the blood. You observed it, you repeated it, and then it became your own habit. And if you keep doing that, your children will observe it. They will observe you doing it. They'll pick up, you know, they'll start doing it and it will become their own habits as well. That is how these things are transferred. So it's actually literally you've trained your brain to be negative. That is basically what I'm saying. If you're someone that worries a lot and if you're someone that complains a lot. So after explaining, you know, trying to use science to explain how we got here, (laughs) Um, the next thing, the next section of this podcast, what I'm going to talk about now is what's so bad about worrying or, you know, complaining? What's the big deal? Okay. So what if I complain? All right. So what if I find something negative in everything? So what if it's difficult for me not to worry about my children? And like I said, it's very tempting to justify it. How can I not worry about my children? No, no, it's not normal. It's not normal and there's nothing good about worrying. So how are the habits of worrying and complaining actually affecting your life or the quality of your life? Now, I've written a few things down um, that I'm going to take you through. So what are the damaging effects of worrying and complaining? Number one, number one, worrying and complaining increasingly distort your view of life by training your brain to focus on the wrong things. And I've literally just explained the process by which that happens. I've explained the process. So you've trained your brain to zero in on the negative. You've trained it that, listen, if we get in a situation, whatever the situation might be, whether it's the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, you've trained your brain by repeatedly indulging that behavior to say, look for the worst case scenario. What is the worst that could possibly happen? All right. So if that is the case, it, it just basically distorts your view of life so that you can't really see things for how they are again. You will always sort of lean towards the the negative side of things, right? Complaining trains your brain to focus on the negative things of life. Your mind will be programmed to support your previous complaints and worries. Do you understand that? So you find things in your environment that will actually support what you're thinking. So you say, ah, you know, I remember, I remember when that happened. I remember this, this is that thing again. That's what's happening again. And you, you will find it will present you with evidence and you, because you have indulged you, you will think that is how life really is. You will think, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know if I should share this. I will. <laughs> so I, I think because I, I worked in, um, Second school, uh, most of my professional career, I was a teacher, worked in secondary school, so 11 ages, 11 to 18. And one of the first things that I found out was that in this country, in England, 
usually by the time the child reaches 11 they travel to school by themselves they they just they travel to school by themselves um they even some will travel long distances get on the bus then get on the train on the tube on the ground blah, blah, blah. so for me it was nothing because i had seen it over and over and over again and when maxine was probably maxine started going to school by herself all right her school was we lived in um syracuse at the time and her school was in borough so near london bridge so she used to walk to the station get on the underground and then walk to school in london bridge and maxine started that when she was what 10 i think it was 10 because to me it was nothing i had seen it over and over so because i had seen it over and over again my brain had basically rewired itself to think that ah, it's okay even though i wasn't raised like that basically you know you, you, you maybe the driver you carry everywhere where i grew up in nigeria or your mother say no ah you can't go on the bus or whatever it is but because i changed my environment and i became exposed um, immersed in a situation where I was seeing it everywhere that uh, children as young as 11 were going, you know, traveling long distances to go to school by themselves. It doesn't mean that what they're wearing parents that were dropping their kids at school, but they were usually in the minority is what I'm saying. All right. Because that was my experience. It retrained my brain to think there's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. As a result of that, I was able to effect that now Maxine went to school by herself. When it came to my son, you know, going to school by himself or trying to, because he's, he, he's only 10, um, getting to the point where he will start going to school. My husband was like, eh? <laughs> so he still retained that whole, you know, how he was brought up in Nigeria. as like, ah, you know, so it took a while. <laughs> Of me literally just saying, listen, you know, this is, you know, it, it happens. It's not a big deal. We will establish ourselves, ground ourselves with the word of God. We we know that angels are surrounding them and all those things. So we will root our own heart in the word and dispel every kind of fear. So, I, you know, I, so I set a target and I basically over like three years or something, over a period of about, so I'd been saying it, saying it to him, saying it to my son that, you know, by this age, you're going to be going to school by yourself. So I didn't immediately act on it because, ah, was like, no, ah, no, you know, that kind of thing. So it's basically, you know, um, <laughs> trying to retrain their brain to get to that point. And what happened was my husband also started to come in contact with people and he realized that, okay, actually, you know, maybe some of his colleagues where the children were going to school by themselves. So that's an example of what I mean, whereby you will find evidence within your environment to support whatever it is that you believe. And if it is negative things that you are thinking, your brain will present you with information and evidence to support that thought that you're holding on to. Okay. Right. One case study. So as we go along, I'm going to pull examples from the Bible and one example from the Bible is actually the children of Israel. If there is, if you, you know, if there is ever a perfect example of people that had been trained to be negative, it was the Israelites. It was the Israelites from the very minute that Moses came and said, "Thus says the Lord, I'm going to deliver you from this place." They were very negative. They were very, very negative because they had been trained to always, their circumstances had trained them to see the negative. There was no hope. They had literally lost hope and they didn't see the good in anything that happened in their environment. So even when they saw all the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, they had a 
abundance of evidence to see that God was taking them into the promised land. No, they, they, they had become so fixated. They were, he had become a habit, right? Of complaining. And the Bible talks about they murmured and they complained and complained and complained. Every little thing they complained about. Why? Because even in the midst of the abundance, even in the midst of all the miracles and all the wonders that God did, getting them out of Egypt, giving them manna, in the midst, in the abundance of evidence of how good God was, in the abundance of the display of the glory of God, they still, their brains still zeroed in on the negative thing. Like when God gave them manna, after a while they said, oh, if only, you know, we, the, the cabbage and what the onions and the, we had, you know, we ate as much fish. So they forgot that they, they were being beaten. And do you understand that it was hard for them in Egypt? But what their mind, right, focused on, it presented them with evidence that no, this being in the wilderness and being free and eating manna is nonsense. Being back in Egypt was better. Why? Because it was a habit. They had trained their brains to see things that way. That is why the Bible says in Romans 12 to be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. You train your mind again to agree with God. It says to prove the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Okay. So I want to read something from the Bible here from Numbers um, chapter 14. This is this will basically just illustrate what I'm talking about. And it says from verse 19. So this was after they had been complaining again. And Moses basically interceded for them. And God said, please, uh, for, so Moses said, please forgive the iniquity of this people according to your great loyal love. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So even they had been doing over and over again, it was a habit. It was their default behaviors. I had explained before, right? It was their default. Every, even when any small thing they came across, they had to complain about it. So God replied to him and says, I have forgiven them as you have asked Moses, but truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. All right. For all the people have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have tempted me now these 10 times. So it was a habit and have not obeyed me. They will by no means see the land that I saw to their fathers, nor will any of them who despised me see it. You know what God was saying? He said the whole earth will be filled with my glory, but this once they will not eat of that glory. Why? Because they're so bent, hell bent on complaining. That's what God was saying. So even if you are surrounded by abundance, by, you know, you're in the, you know, you're in a beautiful marriage, right? You, you will always find the fault in your husband or your wife. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because nobody's perfect. So the person will have faults, but your mind cannot get, you will always present it with evidence. So one of the effects, damaging effects of indulging and worrying and complaining is you are retraining, you are basically distorting your view of life. If you're someone that worries a lot in situations where you should not be worrying, where everything is fine, you will still find yourself worrying and it would distort your perspective of life, which basically, as you have heard God say, it hinders you from experiencing the glory of God in those situations. The second damaging effect of complaining and of worrying is that it stops you from thriving. It stops you from thriving. Now, what do I mean by that? 
there are two ways that, you know, I, I explain what I mean by complaining. So it's not the kind where you see something wrong and then you get up and say, I'm going to do something about this. No, it's the kind where you just complain for the sake of, because you're just basically being negative. Okay. So complaining and worrying train you to either be passive, whereby you are paralyzed by that fear or the negativity, which is the Israelites. They never entered into promised land because every time they complained, it just made it worse for them and they never entered in. Or it will train you to engage in activities that are counterproductive. Now, what do I mean by that? So if if you're someone that worries a lot, you either worry, worry, and you're like, you just become so paralyzed that you're, you're so worried or you're complaining so much that nothing is done. You just, you just, it just basically paralyzes you that you can't move forward. That's one way. The other way is as a result of the worrying, it's easy to engage in what the Bible calls the works of the flesh. Do you know what the works of the flesh are? Where you try and use your own might and ability to prevent the things that uh, that you're worrying or complaining about, but there's no life there because God didn't send you. Because it was not, because it's a distorted view of reality in the first place. I'll give you an example from the Bible. Remember Saul and David. So Saul saw that, ah, come on, David's shining, um, star is shining. It looks like this guy is going to take over. All right. So he, he entered into this negative spiral that he could not get himself out of. So he began to spin in to the point that he went completely out of control that he, in fact, he lost his mind because the Bible says that an evil spirit came and tormented him. And it was only when David would play the harp that the spirit would leave him alone. So he got into the point where he started trying to kill David. Why? Because he felt he, his view of reality was distorted to the point that he thought, listen, if I don't care whether this God wants this guy to be king, I, I have, you know, I determine who's king and my son, Jonathan, how can you fight against God? That's what I mean. His view of reality became so distorted that he was, he now, you know, um, committed himself to doing everything in his power to fight against God. I mean, how can you fight against God and win? It's the same thing with worrying and complaining. You start doing things, start fretting and running around and trying to, you know, oh, okay, well, how can I do this? How can I do that? Meanwhile, it is not, it's only releasing more negativity and causing more trouble than it's worth. Do you understand what I mean by that? Okay, so complaining or worrying will never take you forwards, only backwards. It cannot take you forwards because it will produce one of two things. It will either paralyze you to the point that the fear just grips you and you're like, okay, or the negativity grips you that you can't move forward. You just sit there and you complain. Have you met people like that? They just complain. I say, why can't you just, you hate the job so much. Get up and find another job. But no, because they have indulged in that habit and they're not, they did not raise that complaint originally to do something about it. They have become passive. They are basically just sat there. All right. We let us sit here until we die, as it says in the Bible, right? Literally just sit there. I hate this place, but no, I will just keep complaining about it. And your brain keeps presenting with evidence as to why it's horrible, but he never presents you with solutions because you never trained it to present you with solutions. And the other one that could happen is you engage in works of the flesh where because you don't see clearly, the Bible does not condone worrying. 
says to enter into peace because that is when the instructions of God will come to you. So if you're fretting, that means you are blocking or hindering the instruction of God to come to you at that point in time. If you're worrying over your children, say, oh, are they safe? Are they safe? No, no. You have to enter into the peace of God so that if there is danger, the Holy Spirit nudges your spirit. He might nudge you to go and pray or to do something or to change something. Then you avert it. But if you're in a state where if you even look around, the children are safe. There's nothing wrong with them. But you are so worried. You begin to, you might, you know, you might begin to do things like you can't, you, you, um, you don't give your children room to grow. Like, no, they can't go and do this. They can't go and do that. And no, I, you can't go there. No. What if that happens? Even even though the child is growing and is wanting more, more independence. So you turn to works of the flesh, negative um, actions that are hindering rather than progressing. Okay. So that's the second one. The third one, hmm, and it's progressively getting, you know, worse the effects as I go along. The third one is you're attracting the very things that you're worrying and complaining about. That's one of the most destructive effects of worrying and complaining. You're attracting the very things that you're worrying and complaining about. The Bible talks about Job. Oh my God. If you, if you have the classic warrior, it was Job. Have you ever read the book of Job? The first time Maria was like, what is this guy's problem? I mean, come on. The Bible talks about how Job was the wealthiest man on earth at the time. And he had this, he had how many sons and daughters, da, 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 this sheep, this cow, whatever it is. The guy was extremely wealthy. And he was a god fairy man. He wasn't a sinful man. He was a god fairy man. But guess what? The Bible talks about how every time, you know, his children would gather at each other's houses and have a party, he would secretly go and offer sacrifice and say, just in case they sin. So he was so afraid that they would take a wrong step and something bad will happen. Maybe he would lose his wealth. I think, I think he may have been fixated. So his brain basically was presenting him with all those opportunities, right? And let me say this at this point, the brain is physical. It's part of your body. Do you understand that? It is you. You are responsible for it. The brain does not have you. You control your thoughts. So when suggestions come and the source, I, I haven't mentioned the source at all. The source of a lot of these things that we worry and complain about is Satan, right? I mean, what, what else could be the source of your child is healthy, perfectly healthy. And the thought comes and says, you know, what if the child gets sick and dies? How, wh- where do you think that thought came from? Is it from God? No, it's not from God. Where did it come from? So the thought comes and then you think about it. You ruminate on it. The neurons are firing together, getting closer the more you think about it. So that once the child goes, <coughs> your brain just presents it to you as evidence of what you've been thinking about. Ah, oh my God. Then you start running around. Is it this one? Oh, is it that one? Hmm. Okay, (laughs) so that is the role your brain plays, but ultimately you are responsible. And if you're, you trained your brain to be that way, you can retrain it the other way. So you're attracting the very thing. So to continue about Job, he was so fearful. He worried constantly. 
He worried constantly about losing his wealth. He worried constantly about his children's health. He worried constantly. And people focus on the conversation that happened between Satan and God. But I believe what opened the door was that fear because Job with his own mouth said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. Fear opened the door for Satan to have access into Job's life. That's what the Bible teaches. The fear opened the door. So the worrying, you might say, oh, it's normal. It's not normal. Okay. It's not normal. It's not normal. (laughs) The fear opened the door. So what he greatly feared happened. He was so worried about losing his wealth. He lost it. He was so worried about, you know, his children, you know, going, sinning against God and them, some lightning striking them. It happened. And I also read from the Bible again, a case study today, the Israelites, the Israelites, these guys now get, see what God said to them. I'm reading from Numbers 14, 26 to 29 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain? Remember in the last verses that I I read, God said they had done it 10 times. As in 10 separate occasions, they had just been complaining and murmuring. You brought us here to kill us. Oh, Moses, why did you bring us here? Oh, we want to go back to Egypt and all that. Said, I have heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, this is God speaking, as I live says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to entire number from 20 years old and above. So they literally use their mouth to curse themselves because of constant complaining and worrying. Oh, you've brought us here. Oh, there's no water. Ah, this is what, this is the end of us. This is what will surely kill us. Remember the thoughts eventually become expressed as words. So if you worry, eventually it comes out of your mouth as complaining. And God said, as you have, have you have thought it and have you have spoken it exactly is what you're going to get. So one of the most damaging effects of complaining and worrying is that you are actually literally attracting those things into your life it is these are you know sometimes these are demonic spirits that you don't want to mess with you do not god has called us to peace god has called us to peace there's a reason why it says cast your cares there's a reason why it says take no thought there's a reason why it says be anxious for nothing god doesn't give instructions like that because he's like just be anxious for nothing it's because he knows the effects of it and the final one I'm going to talk be talking about today, the final damaging effect of complaining and worrying is actually on your physical and mental health. Um, the two, the two main areas that I'm going to talk about now is yeah, research, researchers are standard st- <laughs> researchers at Stanford university found that habitual complaining, so habitual complaining or thinking negatively shrinks listen to this it shrinks the area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thoughts remember we talked about how it paralyzes you so you become passive so worrying 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 it's actually 
preventing your, you know, your brain from actually coming up with a solution. The solution that God wants to give you in that situation will never come through. Right? It says it shrinks the area of the brain, that part of the brain that is necessary for problem solving and intelligent thought. Number two. Now, this is a quote from, you know, this is something, an extract from psychology today. It talks about how when you complain or worry or you have persistent anxious thoughts that you don't deal with and bring yourself back into peace. Okay. Your body releases the stress hormone that is called cortisol. Now, basically, what, it, what does cortisol, what's the purpose of cortisol? So cortisol is where you are in danger, right? The body is like, oh, stress, stress, stress. We high alert. That is what cortisol basically does. So it shifts you into the fight or flight mode. And in order to survive that mode that you've entered into that stress, guess what it will do? It, would, it, it, it reacts by directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything, all right, but the systems that are essential to immediate survival. Now, that is when you're stressed, when you keep complaining and complaining and you're all negative, the body is releasing cortisol because it says, oh, you know, we're under attack, we're under attack, we're under attack, we're under attack. The stress, stress, stress. Okay. So the body releases cortisol to deal with that. However, however, elevated levels of cortisol in the body interferes with learning and memory. It lowers immune function and bone density. It increases weight gain, blood pressure, cholesterol, heart disease, and also chronic stress and elevated cortisol levels also increase risk for depression, mental illness, and it lowers life expectancy. That's what science is. Research, I should say, by studies and studies and studies. The, it's not one study it's a new thought. I think over the past few decades that have come to light. So you're saying you're worrying, but it's actually creating stress in your body. And that stress is not good for your physical health. That's what that's saying. Now I want to show you from the Bible. I saw this and it literally blew my mind. You know, when we read some things, we think God is angry and he's just, this, this guy is just an angry somebody. He just wants to destroy people. But I saw something that was like, oh my God. And I'm going to read it. Um, it's a bit long, but it's important that I read it. So this, again, is a case study, children of Israel, complain again. Exodus 15, 23 to 26 says, Now when they came to Marah, the children of Israel, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Fair enough. But remember, they had trained themselves to be negative. They, if they had trained themselves to be positive, their brains to be positive, their brain would have presented them with evidence that says, hang on a minute, the guy that parted the Red Sea, surely he can make water come out of a rock or he can, you know, rain water from heaven. Something will happen, right? But because they were so negative, he presented them with this. It says, therefore, the name of his was called Mara. And the people did what? Complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And the Lord tested them and said, now listen to this carefully. I never, sometimes when I read the Bible, I say, what's the connection? It's like, Especially Jesus will be talking about something and they say something else, but there's always a connection. And I'm about to show you that connection between complaining and actually the effects of it, negative effects of it on the physical body. Listen, it says, 
if you diligently hear the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. And what is right? Giving him praise, trusting in him, right? Because remember in the earlier scripture that I read, God said they disobeyed me. Why? Because they were complaining. So when he's saying to obey me, it means not to complain, but to trust him. So when he's saying, if you diligently give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, he's talking about don't complain, hold fast to his word and believe him above your circumstances. Now, guess what God said is, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. Meaning if you keep complaining, those diseases will come on you. As we have just read, medical research is, is trying to play catch up with the Bible. The Bible already talks about these things. If you are stressed and worried and complaining and always being negative, you are literally inviting sickness and disease into your body. But God said, if you do it the other way and you obey me and you put my word in your mouth and you come to me and you cast your care, he says, I am the God that heals you, meaning you will never experience any of those sicknesses and diseases. Wow. So God wasn't cursing them. God was giving them an instruction. He was showing them there are two ways you can go. If you people keep complaining, you're going to die. Basically, you're going to end up killing yourself with your own mouth. (laughs) That is amazing. God's word is super accurate. So those are the four damaging effects of complaining and worrying that I've, you know, um, Decide that I've, as far as I know, that I've seen that I've highlighted in today's podcast. Now, what I want to round up with today is the how, because like I said, I think one of the most encouraging insights that I want to pass across today is that your brain was trained to be that way. You can retrain and rewire it to be negative, to be, to cast the care onto the Lord, to be peaceful, to be joyful. All right. Don't say that's how I am. It's how you are because your brain was trained that way. You can retrain your brain to become something else. So you can adapt to a new situation to a higher level. So how do you actually beat the the habits, the toxic habits of complaining and of worrying? The first thing and probably the most important one and yeah, the most effective I would say is gratitude is gratitude, being thankful for the little things. Do you know why? Because gratitude forces you to focus on what's positive, what's good, what's good in your life. It forces you to focus on what's good. So if you consistently so if you if you notice for those of you that are into like personal development there's so much talk about gratitude gratitude channel even like new age people will be saying express gratitude you know to the universe i'm like the universe is how is the universe anyway story for another day (laughs) all right we express gratitude to god because he's the source right but the point is That the act of expressing gratitude forces you to focus. It retrains and rewires your brain to focus on things that are positive. And the more you do it, the more remember. So if, if there's a permanent bridge that has been built for negative thinking, where that is the default, if you want to change that default, you start slow. And obviously it's going to be more difficult to be positive because you're used to being negative. There's a, there's, it's like, trying to say, I don't know how to drive again. Unless somebody has a brain injury, you get in the car, you drive. It's your default. Does that make sense? So 
to now say, oh, I want to do something else. It's going to require more energy. It's going to require lots of intention on your part, intentionality on your part. But it doesn't mean it can't be done. By simply expressing gratitude or in writing in your journal what you are grateful for, maybe three things that you are grateful for every single day, you are literally, again, building those bridges and shortening the bridges and strengthening them until it becomes permanent so that you have retrained your brain to see the good. No matter how horrible a day you are having, you still show up and you say, what are the three things that I'm grateful to God for today? The brain begins to think, okay, I think we're, you know, we're going in a different direction now. So it begins to help you. Remember, the brain is neutral. So it begins to help you to make it more to make it easier for you to be grateful and to be positive. So that's the first thing. The second one is being mindful or mindfulness. And what do I mean by that? It means enjoy the moment. Embrace the situations that you find yourself in and remember that every single second is precious and make the most of every single moment in your life. So live in the moment. A lot of people that worry a lot, they're casting their thoughts. And if you're someone like me, you know, I'm a, I'm a visionary. So I'm always looking ahead. Okay, let's do this. And I forget to live in the moment. I forget to enjoy the moment because my personality, I'm always like, okay, why? Where are we going? What's next? Da, da, da. You know, five years from now, a year from now, six months from now, what's happening? And I forget to stop and breathe and smell the roses and enjoy where I am and where God has brought me so far right? But if you are mindful, if you're training yourself to be mindful and say, what's, you know, just relax. What are the good things that are happening in my life right now? That is one way to retrain the brain. And I'll read something. Um, this was the advice that God gave the children of Israel. Actually, remember those are like chronic complainers. This is Psalm 78, seven to 12. And it says, so each generation should set its hope anew in God right? Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors who were stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. It says the warriors of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. Why? They did not keep God's command and refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. So they were not mindful. They were not mindful. So if you're mindful of hope and see how far I've come, if God has brought me this far, then the rest is going to be easy. Be mindful, training your brain to, to live in the moment, not fully in the moment because you still need to, you need both. You need long-term vision and you need short-term vision. The word of God is a light onto your path and a lamp onto your feet. That's talking about long-term and short-term. But if you only ever live in the long-term, you will never enjoy life. So you need to be like walk down the middle, bring the short term into your life as well and say, okay, instead of sitting out worrying about my children's future, why don't I just enjoy the fact that they're here with me and they're healthy and they're healthy. Instead of worrying that they're going to catch some kind of disease and die. Why don't I just enjoy the fact that they're here? God has sustained them. You know, there's so many accidents and things that you don't even know about that God has preserved them for. Why don't I just enjoy that and enjoy them being healthy in this moment? So mindfulness will help you beat the habit of worrying and complaining. Just being grateful for way for the moment, for the moment that you're in. 
The third one to go quickly is to bring things into perspective. Is to bring things into perspective as in what's the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? Honestly, it will help you demystify. The only way a thought, a negative thought can thrive is if it stays in darkness. So you literally shine the light on it. You shine the light on it. As in what's it? Listen, as someone that is prone to all these things that I'm talking about, this is one way that has helped me break the hold of negative thinking and all those kind of anxious thoughts. As in, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, if I lose the job, so what's the, as in, what's the, is that the end of the, is that the end of life? In fact, God said for my trouble, he will give me double. So if I lose the job and I, you know, I, I go through some kind of hardship, I know I'm going to come out with double. So what, what's the big deal? Do you understand? You demystify. You literally demystify that um, that thought, that negative thought, that thought of worry that's coming to attack you. You demystify it. Someone say, well, what if I catch a disease and I die? Then you go to Jesus, Abby. Do you understand? You demystify. Don't the, you, you don't want to allow fear into your heart. Because by allowing fear into your heart, as we have seen, you're literally inviting that very thing that you're afraid of. So you want to chase fear in where I say, why should I be afraid? Why should I be afraid? There's nothing, the worst. In fact, the only thing the Bible says that the only fear that is left is the fear of death. The fear of death that men have. Even that's the greatest fear. That is the, as in, that's the highest fear you can have. And as a child of God, even if I die, I know where I'm going. I'm not, do you understand? I'm going to spend the whole of eternity with the father. So what else? What else can you threaten me with? Do you understand? So you demystify it. And to read the scripture very quickly, it says in Romans fourteen seventy nine, it says, Paul speaking, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor God. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to, love, to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. He was basically saying, if I'm alive, in fact, there was a point where he was saying, uh, you know, I want to go to be with the Lord. Meaning I want to die. I also want to stay with you people. Whether I go or die is gain for me. As in, I, I win either way. So you need to sort of come, train your brain to come into that state of mind whereby whatever happens as a son of the most high God, you win. You win. As in, the, if the worst thing should happen, it is not the end. It's, you still you will win. You win at the end of the day. You win. So you demystify and literally watch, hold the light of God to that thought and see it crumble before your eyes. And once you like say, so, well, so what, is, what if that happens? <laughs> is it the end of the world? No, it's not. The world moves on. You will literally see the hold of that thing breaking. Like it just literally releases you because it no longer has nothing. It has nothing in you anymore. Jesus was not afraid of death. The Bible says that Satan could find nothing inside him. That's why he couldn't kill him because he was not afraid. He had to lay down his life. If he had been afraid of death, Satan would have, in fact, would have held, he would have held him in hell and God would not have been able to deliver him from the clutches of, because there was something in him. So release that fear and say, what's the worst that can happen at the end of the day? I'm a son of God. I can never lose. I still win at the end of the day. And the final one is do what you can in a constructive way. So if a thought, a worrying thought comes 
or you want to complain about something, say, okay, what can I do logically? All right. Not some crazy works of the flesh. Okay. What can I do in this case? If you have a thought or you're worrying about your child, say, okay, can I just make sure everything is fine? And then once you've done that, you have to train yourself to entrust it to God. You have to train yourself to literally entrust it to God. Because there's nowhere that the presence of God isn't. In Psalms, it says, if I go to hell, you are there. Where can I run or hide from your spirit? David said, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I on earth, you are here. If I go to the depths of hell, you are there. Meaning there's nowhere God cannot meet you to help you resolve that matter. That's what it's saying. He's everywhere. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Why can you rest and not be afraid? It says, For you are with me. You are close behind me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So don't say that's how I am. You're literally reducing the quality of your life and you're attracting those things that you're worrying about into your life. Every time a case study today, the Israelites, every time they complain, something negative happened to them. There was a time when they complained and complained, snakes came out and bit them. And God had to, you know, bring up a bronze serpent. So something negative because you're literally, in fact, I saw a quote somewhere. Oh gosh. Bill Johnson got me really thinking. He asked a simple question. He says, if God inhabits our praises, then who inhabits our complaining? I say, hey, Jesus. <laughs> if God inhabits our praises, then who inhabits your worrying? Who inhabits your anxious thoughts? Who inhabits your complaining? And if we can, you know, use the children reason as an example, and Job as an example, Satan has access to our lives when we complain, when we worry. And we have no reason to. Why? Because God is there. He's there. So why not just hand it over? He says, cast your care over unto me. Why? Because I care for you. God loves us and God cares for us. Okay, so that's what I've come to share today. I hope that has been helpful. The journey to um, go from being someone that just generally thinks negatively or speaks negatively all the time to someone that is positive and grateful um, and in peace and joy is not an easy one. Because remember, it's default behavior for a lot of us, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. The same way you train your brain to be that way in the first place, you can retrain your brain to go to the other side as well. That will give God the glory and bring and attract and attract blessings and miracles into your life. So, okay, that's me done for this week and I will be back next week. Um, if you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments, I would love to hear from you. Email address is in the show notes. Um, you can also reach me on Instagram or Facebook at Olaomi Brigway. Bye.